Well, we have uh, Luke with us to present this morning. Let me pray for our group and for Luke, and then uh, let him get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be gathered in a uh, a warm, dry place and to be gathered to your family, um, to be uh, here uh, with your provision, both of uh, of your of snacks, but of your uh, your word and sacraments and the fellowship of your body. Pray that you would lead us this morning. Uh, Pray that you would guide Luke's words. That you would um, direct us into your rest. That we would know your peace. We ask it in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to bring something to you this morning that's a little bit, um, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's something that I thought I knew all about, and uh, I have to confess to you that um, I'm still, I'm still getting there. And what I hope to do is to try to take some of the confusion and try to, to get some of the um, uh, fogginess out of the air when it comes to this. You know, we've been talking uh, in this uh, series, Sunday School series, about uh, Corey, for instance, last week was talking about worship and talked a little bit about repentance as part of that. And so I'm going to key off what Corey did. And extend it a little bit further, keep the conversation going, but I want to talk about a, 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 a concept, something that's out there, that you might not even know you need, and you might even not know it's available. And even available, you and I might be a little co- bit confused as to what it is, Okay. Let me tee it up by this. Let me say this. Um, in Isaiah... Prophet Isaiah, you know, we've been talking about Isaiah this last little while. One of the things that the Lord said through Isaiah was this. In returning and rest, you will be saved. In returning and rest, you will be saved. We know something about the returning part, maybe. And Corey talked a little bit about that last week in terms of repentance, meaning turn around, have a change of direction, turn around from the course you're on, turn toward me. But God says something else. In rest, you will be saved. Now that's, wow, that's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? And this is where some of the confusion can start, at least with me. I don't know about you. Rest, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by, and what does God mean, even more importantly, about rest? Is it simply just kicking back? Taking time off? You know, you've been working too hard. You just need to kick back. What does that mean? Does it mean not doing anything? Does it mean the absence of work? Does it mean um, recharging your batteries? All those things are in play, maybe. But no, not that's not really it. And I needed some help. And, and thank God uh, I've got betters. Uh, You know, for instance, Timothy Keller, some other people. Timothy Keller talked about this topic, and he brought 
an article by a woman in New York City that really has helped me and I hope will help you. And I think it can frame our talk today. The first thing that I want to do before telling you about her is I want to ask a question for each group that you can discuss just for a few minutes. I want you to discuss, and here's, here it is, what was the most restful time you've ever had? You might not even remember the most restful time. Don't, don't fret about it. But something that comes to mind. Talk about the most restful time you've ever had and why was it so. Take just a few minutes. All right. I know that probably from that question, this is so hard to pull back in. But uh, I will pull us back in. I've got another question at the end. But I hope that was, even in the telling of it, it was refreshing to you. And I know... Um, these times are sort of too in between because either you're exhausted from something and going into it, or you go into it, then you realize, oh God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta reconnect. And so sometimes they're fleeting, um, and they don't have to be. And we want, I want to talk about that because this woman that uh, Tim Keller was, uh, told everybody about, she's a um, a writer for the New York Times book review. Her name is Judith Shulevitz. And you can find this article. She wrote an article um, called Bring Back the Sabbath. Okay, Bring Back the Sabbath. Now, let me give you her background. She grew up in a religious community, but like um, you know, many secular professionals in New York City, she got caught up with uh, all that city life, and she was not, she was not observant in her um, Jewish community. And somehow she stumbled across, because of just kind of feeling all out of sorts one weekend, you know, in, in between all the craziness, she realized something was missing, and she was trying to put her finger on it. And she came up with this. She started to talk about something that she had ignored for so many years, which was the, the Jewish Sabbath, when everything shuts down and families get together. And she says this, I'm going to quote a couple of things from, from her. Judith said this, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is to not work. But those who created the Sabbath knew that it was much more complicated than that. Okay. She said, you can't just downshift casually and easily. And then she said this, the rules about our Sabbath in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. She said, these rules did not exist to torture the faithful. But they were there to interrupt the ceaseless round of striving. And it requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will, bolstered by habit and social sanction. What Judith Shulevitz experienced by going back to her roots and observing the Sabbath, she talked about it as regaining her sanity. There's all kinds of reasons why we might spin out and not be restful. And you know it as well as I do. Let me just give you a few things about our modern situation, something that some people have pointed out. One, we are in a culture, we're in a time in our culture 
where jobs are more and more insecure. You can tell me about that. Your job, if you don't keep hold of it, there's a long line waiting to take your place. Also, another thing, people who make lots of money, people who are very successful and accumulate a lot of money, people who are able to do that, are more and more expected to put in crushing amount of hours. I know, um, I have my son, stepson Arthur, works for LabCorp, and he works for the CFO, just under the CFO of LabCorp. And you cannot imagine at times. He comes in to see us, oftentimes he's in at one o'clock and he has to get up at five to get to Raleigh for a meeting you know, at eight. And he rarely is able, is able to take off time. His wife, new wife, is a trauma surgeon in Charleston. Imagine her hours. Imagine what she's come for in, from in her residency. But that's the way things are a lot of times. Here's a third thing, technology. You know, you can work anywhere now. COVID made that kind of a big deal. And you know what this means? It means that now we can work everywhere we are. And we do. Here's another thing. Traditional societies told us, it used to be this way. It told us you got your meaning in life from your family. From your role in your family. I was groomed to take over my dad's gas company. Didn't quite happen. <laughs> Much to a lot of disappointment, I must say. <laughs> but we are really, think about this, we are the first society, we are really the first society that defines ourselves now by the work we do. It now bears much of the freight of our reason for living. Okay, we have less time. We have less ability to set work aside. And let me tell you, the Sabbath was not just created the other day to address this. I mean, the Sabbath's been around for thousands of years. In times where even in our cultural moment, we are overwhelmed by work, the Sabbath has always been there. And this is where the switch begins to happen for us and where the confusion starts. Because I'm not just talking about the lack of work or being able to push away. The Sabbath has always been there because of a persistent human problem that you and I have, regardless of how employed you are or regardless of how unemployed you and I may be. There is a persistent human problem. Let me let Judith say something about this again. She says this, quote, when the Sabbath was still sacred, not only did drudgery give way to festivity in family gatherings and occasional worship, but listen to this. She said, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too. Stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Holy moly, what are we talking about? 
You see, what the Sabbath addresses and what the Lord addresses through establishing the Sabbath is a deep problem that you and I have that no number of vacations will touch. Okay? I want you to hear me. No amount of, quote, downtime really does a thing to help it. Let me put it this way. Scientists have said, and we know this, you and I need sleep, don't we? And, of course, a lot of us are sleep-deprived. We've got a lot of young families here. We've got a lot, a lot of uh, new parents. You know, sleep, that just goes with a job, right? That just goes with, the, with it. And, you know, we have found out that it's not just you need some sleep. They've taught, the scientists have taught, told us that we really need a certain amount of, and they call it, what is it? R, yeah, right. Rapid eye movement, is that what it is? We need REM sleep. We need a certain amount of deep, deep sleep. Or else we can sleep a lot and still be exhausted. Well, let me tell you that there is, of course, our external work from which we must rest physically. And we've been talking a lot about that maybe in groups. And that's great. But see, there's a deeper problem. There is a work underneath the work. And that's the truth about the human condition. And every one of you, and me too, are working very hard, way too hard, at this work underneath the work. What am I talking about? The machinery of self-censorship, the eternal inner murmur. I'm not talking about guilt. This is the deep, deep need to prove yourself and for me to prove ourselves. I was looking probably for the, I don't know, 14th time at the Lord of the Rings thing, the movie. But I read it too, and it's, it's better to read it, I think. There's a wonderful moment when that soldier of Gondor, Faramir, comes and sees something that Sam Gamgee, Samwise, did. And it was very brave, and Faramir is praising him and trying to compliment him. And he says this to Sam, and this is so important. He says, the praise of the praiseworthy is beyond all rewards. There is nothing you and I desperately need more than to have praise and rest from someone who we value highly. The praise of the praiseworthy is above our rewards. Let me give you a couple examples from movies. I know, that, and unfortunately, I'm dating myself. These are old movies. Many of you. Anybody remember Rocky? Okay, you do. All right. I'm in an okay group. Let me give you a quote from uh, Rocky. You know, let me ask you, why, why did Rocky do all that that running and, and doing all that incredible, you know, the one-arm push-ups and the ropes and the bag work and all that kind of stuff. And why is he running through Little, little Italy and the trumpets are blaring and he runs up to the top? He's, why did he go and do all that? What, what was going on with him and all that work? Well, here's his quote. I won't say it the way he did it because I'm not Sylvester Stallone, thank God. He says, all I want to do is go the distance. 
If the bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't some, just another bum from the neighborhood. It was a work underneath Rocky's work, wasn't it? Here's another one. And by the way, this is weird. This is weird because this is the only movie I've ever seen that basically was centered on the Sabbath. You know what I might be talking about? Anybody see Chariots of Fire? Remember that? It contrasted two friends who were together, put together in England to run for glory in the Olympics a long time ago. It's a true story. These are real characters. One was named Harold Abrams. He grew up in a Jewish family. And he grew up in the elitism of Great Britain. And he was of a minority community. And he felt stingingly the cold shoulder of many of even his colleagues. And Harold Abrams was fast. And he was running in the Olympics to win the gold medal. And he's getting ready for his race. And Mr. Masabini, his trainer, is getting him ready. And and Harold Abrams says this. He said, basically, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Harold Abrams was not just running physically. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And contrast that with Eric Little. For some reason, that strange man, he ran fast too. But Eric was willing to, in the Olympics, and literally did this, he bucked king and queen and basically said, I don't have to run because that was a Sabbath day for the Olympics. And so I will give up my race for the gold medal because of the Sabbath. But what did Eric say about himself? Well, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Two men running. One doubly running, one strangely aloft as he ran. I remember my mom when um, I was in the band and we had to, we, we were, I was at uh, what is now more, what is now Royal, it was more junior high. I was playing marching band, I was playing drums in the Christmas parade and we had to get there really early. And of course my mom was late getting me. And I was ready to yell at her when I ran, jumped in the station wagon, throwing my parade drum. And I said, you know I'm late. And then I looked in the back seat, and there was a boy stretched out. And he looked hurt. And my mom had this awfully, awfully stressed out look on her face. And she says, we've got to go to the hospital. We've got to go to the hospital. I hit him. What? So we go to the, we go to the hospital before she dropped me off. And it was not her fault. There was a lot of cars trying to get everybody out of school and where they needed to go. And he just ran out in between cars and ran right in front of mom. And she wasn't going very fast, but she did hit him and busted his leg. And he was fine. He was fine. But my mom later faced a lawsuit for damages for hospital costs. Now, she was not at fault in any way. And legally, she was totally cleared of any wrongdoing. The boy was fine. His leg was fine. Everything was great. And let me tell you, legally, after that, my mom legally should have been able to sleep. You think my mom slept? The inner machinery 
of self-reproach, the eternal murmur. It's this inner work that makes our outer work so exhausting. You see, the outer work's never enough as long as the eternal murmur, that machinery keeps grinding in your soul and in my soul. And no amount of vacations can touch it. You and I desperately need rest for our souls, which brings us to this morning, why we might be gathered here this morning as opposed to anywhere else we could be today, which is a lot of places. See, from this place, we hear about the Bible, we read the scriptures, the scriptures are presented to us, we learn from them, and we understand that the ceremonies, the customs, the ceremonial laws of the Bible finally came to an end because Jesus came. We realize that all these things were temporary. They were pointing somewhere else, into someone else. But even as they were set aside, those kind of laws were set aside, the laws of the Ten Commandments, the moral law has never been set aside. They don't go away. And see, only Jesus can give us the deep rest of the soul that we desperately need. Let's put it this way. Look at Genesis 2. Look at this when we're done. Genesis 2. God creates, and on the seventh day, what does God do? He says, it's all very good. It's good. It's really good, all I've done. And he rests from his labors. Let me ask you a really obvious question here. Does God get tired? Is God worn out out of of all that activity? No. No. If God doesn't get tired, what does it mean by that God rests? And what it means is in, in what he said, he looked at everything he had done and he said, it's very good. It is accomplished. It is finished. Look to Hebrews 4. It says there, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest have also rested from their works as God did from his. So you mean there's a rest beyond the normal rest that we talk about? You mean there's a rest beyond that? You mean that there's an actual rest for my soul, that the machinery can stop, that the self-condemnation that comes, rises up in me all the time can stop? You're telling me that I have resources that will help me in my work, that even in the midst of stress... I can be drawing from a river of comfort and rest and forgiveness. Sure you can. I know the story of, and we won't go into it, a Polish freedom fighter captured by the Russians who had just begun this thing that they call brainwashing. This man was deprived. He was sleep deprived. He was beaten. He was taken away from family and friends. He was accused of all kinds of crimes against the, the Soviet Union. They used all the brainwashing tactics on him because they had just perfected it. And he was one of their first uh, candidates. And he broke his captors. And when they interviewed him on the tarmac in Germany after he was released, they said, how in the world were you able to stand up against such pressures? And he said, simply, when they told me I had done all these things, when they accused me of all these crimes, I said, well, yeah, you're right. In fact, I even know more of them than you don't know about me. I'm all that and worse. But Jesus Christ told me that in him I am forgiven and that he took the blame for me. 
so I'm okay. I wish for you a rest, and I think it's going to come as we together observe Sabbath in the ways that we do it, but also in realizing the restlessness of Jesus on your behalf and my behalf. Why is he so restless? Why does Jesus say, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how constrained I am until I do it? Why couldn't he find a place to sleep? Why does he say the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Why was he writhing on the cross? Why was he sweating blood in the garden? Why could he find no rest while the disciples were asleep? Because he took that eternal restlessness that you and I experience onto himself. He was restless so that you and I could be forgiven, given his abundant life, trade our lives for his life, trade our performance record for his and be made whole again and that's the rest that I invite you to we don't have to answer, ask a question I'll just ask, ask a question when have you ever really rested in Jesus Christ and we'll go from there thanks thanks